So, who tells him? Uh, I guess I can. In a second, it might not matter anyway. He's bound to have heard the commotion. That's true. That is very, very true. Oh, shit. Here he comes. Jesus, Crow, James, Chrissy, what happened here? Uh, all right, I'll tell you what happened. Some piles of walking seaweed were looking for someone named Sigmund. Mm. They stormed in here, and one of them just decided to eat your caramel swirl from the freezer. We tried to stop them. We really did, but they, they were there were too many of them. Wait, 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 you mean a sea monster ate my ice cream? A sea monster ate my ice cream? He took that better than I thought. A sea monster ate my ice cream! Yeah, yeah, this this is uh, n- not as bad as I thought it would be. No. There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The penny and James to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon Hello everyone, I'm James Irish. I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. And I'm Chrissy Harding. Welcome to the Pemmy and James and Chrissy kind of sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. And today joining us on the couch, which seems to just get bigger every time we have a guest. Please welcome back to the show, Mr. Justin Toner. Hey guys. Yay! Woo! Woo! I got one. Uh, of, I got. I I sprang for us to get one of those like foldable couches that just you know you just fold it out and it gets bigger every time. Yeah, it's really it's really comfy. Uh thanks guys. It's great to be back uh, on the show, uh, especially for the show we're going to talk about today, which is one of my uh, childhood staples growing up. So I'm excited. It's one of my favorite cartoons as well. I think this is just this is a cartoon. I think that just defined a good portion of our childhood. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, we're of course mm-hmm. talking about DuckTales, the 1987 <laughs> Disney syndicated show. As you probably gathered from the previous two podcasts, Scrooge McDuck had a long, winding history before he would even be animated. Debuting in 1947 in the comic anthology series Walt Disney's Comics and Stories, Carl Barks first envisioned Scrooge as an aged, bearded, miserly curmudgeon living alone in the story Christmas on Bear Mountain. Quickly, Barks would de-age and de-beard the character and slowly but surely reinvent him as a capitalist adventurer who all but owned the city of Duckburg. Woo. By 1950, he was the lead star of comic stories instead of simply being one of Donald Duck's supporting players as a whole new cast was built up around him, Donald, and the triplets Huey, Dewey, and Louie, including eccentric inventor Gyro Gearloose, Scrooge's old flame Glittering Goldie, the impossibly lucky Gladstone Gander, rivals South African industrialist Flintheart Glomgold, conniving Italian sorceress Magica Dispel, and the inept robbers collectively known as the Beagle Boys. It's a good array. I didn't realize Flintheart Glomgold was South African. Well, he is in the comics. They made him Scottish in the cartoon. Yep. Uh, probably just to amplify the mirroring of Scrooge. Huh, fair. And we'll talk about that a bit more in a bit. Mm-hmm. Barks wanted Scrooge to appear in animation, 
as early as 1954, but it would take 13 years from Scrooge's debut for Scrooge to even get a voice, that of Dallas McKinnon, who we'd previously heard as the voice of Max the Dog in How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and that would be for the Disneyland record Donald Duck and His Friends in 1960. It would be seven more years after that for Scrooge to finally be animated in the educational short subject Scrooge McDuck and Money, where Bill Thompson would perform the character. Now, as we discussed a couple episodes ago, Alan Young would inherit the role in the 1970s for another record, this one an adaptation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, and he would reprise it when that record was adapted to animation in 1983. Mickey's Christmas Carol was Scrooge's most high-profile appearance to date outside the comics, where his adventures by that point had become a fixture on American and European comics racks for decades, with Don Rosa reviving the series in 1986. Meanwhile, around this time, Disney was slowly mulling over and eventually creating new television animation for Saturday mornings finding solid success with the adventures of the Gummy Bears, and less so with the Wuzzles. But they soon decided to get more ambitious with it. I guess it was meant to be. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. They wanted to break into the syndicated market with a cartoon specifically aimed at being aired between 4 and 6 p.m., a time when kids were statistically more likely to be watching TV than in the early morning time slots that animation also occupied. We were more likely to be paying attention to TV between 4 and 6, because in the morning, we're too busy trying to get ready for school. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, there's market research to back both sides of it up. Fair. The Disney Company invested heavily in the animation of this series, putting $350,000 to $400,000 into each episode, according to Disney's then-Vice President of Television Animation, Gary Randolph Crissell. Since Disney didn't want to sully their high-end reputation with the kind of work companies like Deke and Filmation were turning out at the time. Can you blame them? And yet they still hired Wang Studios to do some of the episodes. Go figure. Hmm. Well, you know, they can't be perfect all the time. Well, TMS can only do so much. That's fair. Right. Disney believed they could recoup the money from advertising and eventual reruns of the episodes. And boy, were they right! Never doubt the mouse. Yeah. Or the duck in this case. (laughs) (laughs) Under the development of head writer Jim Megan, this was, of course, DuckTales which would be loosely based on Barks' original comics. It would debut in 1987, effectively 40 years since Scrooge's first comics appearance. The premise of the show is Donald has joined, or rejoined, the Navy. Was he ever originally in the Navy, or did he just like dressing like a sailor? Back in World War II, he he was enlisted in the Navy. I thought he was in the army during World War II. Yeah, he did both. So with Donald occupied, Scrooge McDuck becomes the legal guardian of Huey, Dewey, and Louie. The rougher edges and more shady aspects of Scrooge's characterization from the comics were smoothed over for this cartoon. 
and every character I mentioned previously would make the jump as either a series regular or at least featuring in episodes devoted to them. And the villains would see some retooling, with Flintheart becoming a Scotsman like his rival Gazillionaire, and also this was the era of apartheid, so... That makes sense. Yeah. Also made a bit more villainous than he was in the comics, but also kind of necessary for this case. The other changes included Magicka Dispel going from Italian to Eastern European, and the Beagle Boys becoming considerably more distinct in both personality and physical shape. Mm-hmm. Some people might call it bl- blasphemous, but I, I actually kind of like them with more defined personalities rather than all looking the same. I and kind granted, of agree. Me too. Granted, they do kind of lose some of their boyish charm with the designs they have in the animation, but... I still kind of prefer the animation designs for him. I, I kind of enjoy it. It brings a little bit of like the um, Groucho, the Marx Brothers backslash Three Stooges uh, comedy to it. Yeah. It, it's kind of fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, where big time it's just like the Mo, you know, and the rest are kind of like act as the Larry, Curly, and Shep's where they provide more of the, the comic relief because they're not as, they're not as bright as big time. And I like it that it, they switch it up sometimes, too. Like, it's not always big time. Occasionally, we get some with, like, Bank Job instead, which was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they let them all have... They, it's nice that they let the the Beagle Boys, each one have kind of their own moment to shine a little bit. And I love the fact that they gave them, what was it, sisters? E. <laughs> yeah. The Beagle Babes. The Beagle <laughs> Babes. That's actually one of my favorite episodes is when they kidnap... Webby, and then they become friends. That is one of my favorite episodes. Oh, I forgot because it's a Webby centric episode, and I and I adored Webby uh, in this in this show. The internet really likes Boom Boom Beagle. That's all I'm saying on that. Yeah. So new characters were introduced as well. Most prominent would turn out to be Launchpad McQuack, the dim-witted personal pilot of Scrooge, who was also a close friend and, as a junior woodchuck scoutmaster. Mentor to the triplets. Oh, I love. I don't know if I would call him dim-witted so much as naive. Little Uh, bit of column A, little bit of column B, whole lot of column C. (laughs) Uh, In in a lot of the stories where they're converted over from uh, Carl's Bark stories, they he ends up filling the Donald role a lot. That's fair. I also do like how they use him to to cross over into Saint Canard, and and they bring in uh, Darkwing. Yep. More yeah. on that in the postscript. <laughs> hey, if it, if it flies, I can crash it. <laughs> I, that's my favorite line that he that he said. He doesn't go by how good of a landing it is. It's how good of a crash it is. And he gets upset when he lands perfectly, too. Yes. Yeah, he is upset that's when he actually lands great. without crashing. <laughs> also befriending the boys would be the precocious Webigail Vanderquack, or Webby for short patterned after comics characters April, May, and June. And Webby is, of course, the granddaughter of Scrooge's maid, Mrs. Beakley, another new character. I do enjoy. Webby was one of my favorites. A lot of people look down on Webby in this show, but uh, a lot of people complain that she's a useless character, but I purposely picked an episode just to show that she does have value in this series. So I enjoy her because... When you're a young girl watching this and you watch her, she keeps up with the boys yep. very well. Yes. 
yeah, especially in the episode we're going to talk about. Yeah, uh, yeah, she plays just an important role in what in in the plot as as the nephews. I remember like sometimes kind of being a little annoyed at Webby, but especially in the episode, I, I see why Femi wanted to do this one because she definitely doesn't come off like that. Um, and also, you see that you know, even though she's not like family scrooge really cares a lot about webby you know it's like it's like when she's in danger he he is he is, he is very concerned you know <laughs> yeah he, he yeah. treats her like she's his own like niece which is mm-hmm. just really really nice yeah rounding out the new additions are scrooge's upper crust butler duckworth and the real scrappy of the show doofus drake uh. a fellow junior woodchuck alongside the triplets who the show completely forgets about after like halfway through season one, I think. <laughs> they do yeah, bring him back for other seasons. Like he does pop yeah. back in for other seasons. Yeah, he doesn't appear that much in the in the uh, in the later seasons at all. Although, yeah, yeah. Although they do, I do. They do do an episode where Scrooge goes in the future, and we find out that Webby and Doofus get Doofus married. Get married. <laughs> <laughs> I That's right. That, and when Scrooge comes back to the present and he makes a comment, Webby's just like, ew. <laughs> She's like, no, just no. Also, to, to Doofus's credit, though, in that future, he kind of got built a bit, too. So, Well, look at who his mentor is. I mean, it, it is Launchpad McQuack. Fair enough. So, with so many characters, Disney brought in a veritable dream cast of voice actors to perform them. So many of them, we can't really dive into their other roles elsewhere, though we'll mention some of them through the episode if as they become relevant later on. But you guys know the format by now. Here comes the rundown. Of course, Go. Alan Young returned as Scrooge McDuck, while Rusty Taylor, of course best known as Minnie Mouse, would perform Huey, Dewey, and Louie, as well as Webby. Chuck McCann a veteran voice actor we've heard salvaging below-par material on Pac-Man with his versatile voices, performed as Duckworth and two of the lead Beagle Boys, Burger and Bouncer, while the always-welcome Frank Welker took on Beagle Boys members Big Time and Baggy, as well as Magicka's transformed brother Poe the Raven and second-season edition Bubba Duck. Magicka herself, as well as Ma Beagle, is portrayed by the one and only June Foray, while the last major reoccurring Beagle Boy, the massive bank job, is given life with one of Peter Cullen's more menacing voices. Nice. Another veteran, Hal Smith, shows his versatility as two characters who couldn't be further apart, Gyro Gearloose and Flintheart Glomgold. Rounding out the cast are Terry McGovern as Launchpad, Joan Gerber as Mrs. Beakley, and Glittering Goldie when she popped up, and Brian Cummings as Doofus and Bebop Beagle. Phew! I always loved Glittering Goldie. She was actually yeah. one of my other favorite characters on the show mm-hmm. when she showed up, just because she took she took nothing from Scrooge. No, <laughs> no, no. That, that's except what his heart. Yeah, except his heart. That, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And and if and while he was distracted, you know, his money. Um, yeah. Yeah. He'd probably be the only person who could make off with his money, and and he couldn't do too much about it. Yeah, no, Gold uh, Goldie is one of my favorite recurring characters too, just because of the whole relationship between her and Scrooge. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like which they which I think was in a Carl Banks um, comic Carl strip Barks. actually, Carl Barks comic strip. Sorry, yeah. 
Sorry, oh, yeah. sorry, sorry, uh, girl. <laughs> the uh, the comic that she first appears in the Carl Barks one is she's portrayed quite a bit differently, but she gets tougher as she gets used, and Don Rosa definitely used it, made her a lot tougher, seemingly too, but. His version almost feels more like the DuckTales version, but I'm sure he'd cringe if he heard me say that. So, More on that later, too. <laughs> so, shall we dive into our first episode? Yes, please. Sure. Let's just not dive into the money bin first, because as Peter Griffin discovered, it is not a liquid! It is a bunch of solids turned into one massive solid! Yeah. Only Scrooge could swim through the money bin, as the show pointed out many times. Mm-hmm. Funny thing is, though, uh, even the comics made there was one comic where uh, that was how Scrooge stopped the Beagle Boys was by convincing them to try to swim in the money like he does, and they all get knocked the f out <laughs> from it. It's Scrooge's superpower. Curse me, guilts. In fact, according to Scrooge, they, they get concussions that would last, uh, I think he said, a week so that he could get rid of them. <laughs> get rid of them. Sunset is going to hate us for this episode, I can already tell. We already <laughs> warned him, so he has no one to blame but himself for this one. So our first episode is The Curse of Castle McDuck, directed by Steve Clark and written by Anthony Adams. Now, Clark had been active since the 60s, animating and directing for UPA on Gay Paris, Mr. Magoo Shorts, and The Dick Tracy Show. And he would direct a total of 15 episodes of DuckTales. Anthony Adams, on the other hand, was just getting started in the television industry when he wrote this, and would go on to, amongst many other things, be a producer on, get this, Snoop Dogg Presents the Joker's Wild. Wow. Okay. Wow. I do have to confess one thing. Uh Gay Perry is one of my one of my favorite movies. It is on the short list of movies we want to look at for sure. What can I say? It's got Robert Goulet in it. So as our episode opens, it is night on the Scottish Highlands, and a very obviously Frank Welker voiced lamb is recovered by a shepherd when the howls of a ghost hound scare them both off. Now we know this voice. We've heard it as Slimer, as Uni, as the Schmoo. You mean Uni? Uni, yeah. I, I feel at this point our tangent board should just become a board where we just put on the name Frank Welker and Don Messick, and we just start doing hashtags of how many times they show up in cartoons. <laughs> and June Foray. I mean, you're, you're not wrong. Also, this this is starting to remind me of the Hounds of Baskerville. Are, are, I feel like we're in a Sherlock Holmes story now. I knew you were going to say that. I thought the same thing. <laughs> and the dog, the the hound is also obviously Frank Welker. Um, but this this story is this uh, installment is actually based very, very, very loosely, loosely, loosely based on a Carl Spark story. I, I'll go into pretty much the only common factors between this and the Carl's Bark story is uh, there is a Castle McDuck, it has a curse, and there is a ghost town. But other than that, this is nothing like that story. (laughs) And I'll Mm. I'll get more onto that probably after we finish the episode. Okay. Okay. So come morning, we spot a train carrying Scrooge and the kids to the home he was born in. 
They passed the stone circle of ruins, and Scrooge exposits that druids left them. Druids who were secretive and were driven out of Scotland centuries ago. Bit of a historic oversimplification, but for an 80s kids cartoon, it's par for the course. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's still druids in Scotland. Yep. Yep. So, no cab driver would take them to his cottage, but the shepherd from earlier welcomes them to the area. The shepherd doesn't believe he's a McDuck, but when Scrooge confirms that he is, he runs off with even the sheep braying, Oh no! (laughs) It's the same with the ladies doing their laundry. So when you include the cab drivers, I can't help but invoke the old phrase, Once is an accident, twice is a coincidence, three times is a pattern. Mm-hmm. And that's when you should get out of Dodge. Yeah. But they're not in Dodge, they're in Scotland. That's when you should get out of Edinburgh. <laughs> or is that when you should just jo- you should just dodge? Fair point. <laughs> Especially if it's a ram? Yes. Nice. Car joke. <laughs> Car puns here in this here in our podcast. Who knew? Sorry, Sunset. Arriving at the cottage, Scrooge further exposits that his farming family left when he was six, looking to start fresh, and he didn't have a very comfortable childhood like the triplets. Webby shouts about the toys she finds upstairs, which is supposed to contrast that statement, but really, when you think of the life of luxury Scrooge leads now, you can forgive him for having a very different perspective. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's still a big teddy bear, though. Oh, yeah. We get a gag with Scrooge struggling with the piggy bank he made himself as a kid, both forgetting how to open it and forgetting the trap he left in it. (laughs) By a cartoon boxing glove. I know. Can't go wrong with the the standards. Nope. But also part of me is like, I wonder if if one of your descendants was, you know, a descendant of Daffy Duck. (laughs) Webby spots a picture of a, quote, girl, unquote, and Scrooge has to explain that it's actually him. The standard skirt and kilt jokes follow right before the boys spot Castle McDuck. You know, I noticed I noticed a little gag that I think I didn't notice previously. Mm-hmm. A little child Scrooge McDuck. On his uh, kilt, he's got, like, instead of the dollar sign he uses to represent himself, he's got, like, a cent sign. Aww. <laughs> So that's a, that's a cute little yeah. gag. That is cute because they I, I they look, probably couldn't use a pound sign because the because American children wouldn't understand that. So a cute yeah, little cent sign works pretty good. I thought the joke was funny, even though it was very obvious because it's yeah. like well, be confusing a skirt and a kilt. It's it's very it's a, it's a it's an old trope joke, but I, I thought it was so funny. Especially your comment about like you know careful about the wind or the draft. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also I mean if you think about it too, when you're dealing with kids. Mm-hmm. You know, what What kid probably would not make that same observation, too. So it, yeah. it also relates to the kids who are watching it, too, where they would have done the same thing. Yeah. They wouldn't have known what a kilt was. Castle McDuck was his ancestors, but nobody lives there anymore because of the cost of upkeep and the cold drafts and the curse. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Scrooge explains his mother told him a story about how the castle was haunted by the ghost of a beastly hound. The kids, of course, want to check it out, but Scrooge seems hesitant, even more so as they cross the broken bridge. 
it, this bridge is important because the hound is not, apparently cannot cross it. Now a howl in the distance sends Scrooge tripping into the river, and as they reach the castle door, Scrooge admits he may not remember all the details correctly. I mean, it ha- has been a long time. Yeah. Yeah. The kids intend to get a fire going, and Huey says there's plenty of firewood, where none have been drawn in. Little oversight there, but nothing I'd call deal-breaking, especially when the other more story-pertinent details in the episode are all starting to come together. Yeah. For sure. Oh, there, there's at least wood in the fireplace, so, you know, eh. Fair. Webby finds some old Scottish garb. A convenient change of clothes for Mr. McDuck, for sure. Of course, like, the nephew's response to seeing him in the outfit is, uh, oh, no wonder dogs chase them. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. And also, we're also, as an audience, getting clues here, like, uh, this place is abandoned. Why is there firewood? And why are there clothes? Yeah, there's a lot of foreshadowing, good foreshadowing in this episode about the the certain reveals. But it was cool seeing uh, Scrooge dressed up in classic uh, Scottish garb. You know, it's like, you know, he's his homeland. So, you know, yeah, it's appropriate. Louis spots a portrait of Silas McDuck, Scrooge's great, great grandfather who built the castle. And Scrooge spins the tale of how he did it to support his large family. But as he broke ground, a druid warned him that doing so would bring about a curse. But this did not deter Silas. And w- But when the castle was finished, the ghost hound appeared and chased away the family, who scattered to other places. Silas built the cottage Scrooge would be born in, but all the ducks remembered the ghost, including Scrooge. I like the animated flashbacks. It's like they had a really large family back then. <laughs> yeah. Does anyone else get the feeling with how scared Scrooge is of the curse that probably when Scrooge was younger, he came across the the, the dog and obviously the dog in the past or his family yeah. did. And that's why they left. Possible. That's possible. Because we've, we've seen Scrooge up to this point take on some pretty scary and unbelievable things. Like you said, his mom can really tell a story. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And they left here at the age of six and I'm like, when he was six and I'm like, something chased them away. Yeah. And let's not forget Scrooge is tougher than the toughies. And smarter than the smarties. So part of me is like, "Mm, something happened that he still remembers now as an adult that, that, scares him because he's because he he is scared to go into the castle yep. and deal with this so it's something he probably remembers from being a six-year-old child louie at this point points out that it's getting dark and scrooge says they should head back but the fireplace is actually a secret door and a hand swipes scrooge's top hat now this hat being a marketable trademark they simply have to get it back opening up the passage they find the druid and the ghost hound. Um, Pemmy? <laughs> yeah, Pemmy. We need to talk. Did you pick this episode because it resembles a Scooby-Doo cartoon? Yeah, dude. No, actually, but... Uh-huh. Sure. Right. <laughs> Though I, I, this is my favorite episode of DuckTales, and I do like Scooby-Doo, but no, that uh-huh. was not my, in, that was not my intentions, I swear. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. Um, Let's tell us when Elvis gets here, then. Right. Yeah. Like zoinks, Mr. McDuck. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow. (laughs) The family retreats over the river where the ghost supposedly can't pursue them. And sure enough, it vanishes. Or seems to. As they fret about not knowing if it can turn invisible, Scrooge spots lights and shadows and chanting figures. Suddenly, Scrooge is resolute to get to the bottom of the whole thing, and, well, it's a whole bunch of druids. Mm-hmm. Yep, guess they weren't driven out after all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I refer you all back to my, my comment in the beginning of, nope, they're still there. After the commercial break, Scrooge is angry that the druids basically chased his family off their land. Huey suggests he charge them back rent. <laughs> yeah, that was a great line. Huey, Huey, Huey knows Huey knows Scrooge way he too knows, well. He knows Uncle Scrooge. <laughs> but it's his stolen heritage that Scrooge is really upset about, and he has a plan to get them out. This this is why I think something happened when he was younger that chased them away. <laughs> Either him or his family, but yes. Yeah. Yeah, he, he when he sees when he finds out that the nerds are there, he it's like pretty kind of ticked off for the rest of the episode. This is my family's home, and they, they and they they scared us away. Like I'm not I'm not taking that anymore. He's like I'm done. <laughs> Scrooge goes to the townsfolk who need to be convinced to help him. Which Webby's gentle way with the terrified sheep from earlier moves them to provide assistance. <laughs> See, I told you she was useful in this episode. Yeah, yeah, very. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, Scrooge wouldn't have got help from any of the uh, villagers if it wasn't for Webby being able to nurse their lamb back to health. So Yeah, oh, that was cute. Returning to the castle, Scrooge tells the kids to, to set the traps. Pammy! <laughs> like, slikes! <laughs> yeah, tell me you didn't pick this because it doesn't resemble a Scooby-Doo episode. Tell me that again. If if I did, it was completely subconscious, I swear. <laughs> now, gang, it's time to split up. I'm surprised that the, the nephews didn't consult the Junior Woodcut Chuck guidebook for how to build trap. But <laughs> that, that was... that would, now that's a missed opportunity, not pulling out the witch, the Junior Woodchuck guidebook. That is a missed opportunity. Just a quick well, thing. We'll get that in the next episode. Yes. It's Fair. The, the Junior Woodchuck guidebook is like my favorite recurring gag in the show. I'll go more into that in the next episode. As they're raising a net, Webby backs into another secret passage. And she's panicking as the others can't find a switch, so they try through the fireplace. Danger prone Daphne. Yep. Jeepers. Yeah. Webby goes looking for her own way out through an underground tunnel, which the others find behind the fireplace, and it leads to the forest outside the castle. Daylight is running out as the flock of ducks keep looking for Webby. They find the druids still doing druid things, and the hound sneaks up on them. Said hound chases them to the wall of a cliff, proving it doesn't just come out at night. Though I, I do want to say that the hound's appearance got, got us a really classic joke of like one of the nephews see it, <laughs> taps the other nephews on the shoulder who taps the other nephew on the shoulder that yep. ends up leading that, to Scrooge. That was that, very that's one of my favorite gags in this show. Yeah, mine too. That is the classic Donald gag. Mm-hmm. But Scrooge is able to distract the hound with sausage links. 
which should tip off the observant viewer that the hound might actually be alive, or at least have a Slimer-sized appetite. I mean, <laughs> sausages are good, though. How, how can yeah. anything resist that? Exactly. Unless it's blood, unless it's, what is it called, uh, black pudding, then, uh, no. No, okay, you mean, oh, you mean blood sausage. Yeah, no, no thanks. <laughs> oh, they could be, because they are in Scotland. I know, that's. Um, that is a popular, I think that is a popular thing in Scotland. Yeah, um, it, let me text it's. my cousins. <laughs> the troop hears the barking of puppies and Webby's giggle. And boy, Scrooge is glad nothing happened to her. Boy, she gives him what for. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, if the puppies didn't give it away that this is a real dog, I yeah. can't help you. <laughs> I really can't help you. Oh, those puppies are cute as hell. Yes, they are. It is a cute scene, though, where he's like, oh, I'm so happy you're okay. Okay! I was lost in that! Yeah, I love when Web- Webby uh, rants on Scrooge a little bit about what happened. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she just... And it's relatable. It is. I, I gotta be honest, Web- Webby giving him uh, what for... I'm like, for those of you who say Webby don't have doesn't have a backbone is a damsel in distress, this episode. Yeah. This scene. This is arguably her strongest episode. Yeah. I also loved uh I don't remember which one of the nephews is like is uh, gets upset, you know, like, you know, that that you know, the implication that, you know, they, they don't feed the hound enough to make him, you know, uh, irritable and therefore easier to uh be the attack dog. That yeah. is like is is, is they, 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 like they did not like that at all. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Because yeah, that was the line. It was like uh, Scrooge says that uh, they don't feed it very. They must not feed it very well. That makes it mean. And I think it's Huey actually says, "Well, that makes the druids mean." If you ask me. Yeah. I like yeah, that I point. agree. So after intuiting that, Scrooge says it takes more than that to fool a McDuck for anything more than 150 years. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a good line. Yeah, yeah is. which is a good line. So that night, as the ghost hound enters the castle, they spring the trap and miss. But Huey and Louie improvise and do catch a pair of the druids. That two down. The rest are stopped by a greased staircase and a second trap. But the dog and one of the three druids in that trap get loose. We're kind of bordering on a now wait just a minute moment here. Mm. Where did the other two druids go? Right. We couldn't at least see their feet dangling as they tried to hang on to the they, top. They've been of the up there this entire time. Yep they they just they've just been sitting up there this entire time. Uh, they're probably really bored by the time this episode's over. They're just hanging out. They're just hanging <laughs> out up there. They're just hanging. Yeah, they're just hanging. So well, it's it it bugs me a bit. Mm-hmm. But not yeah. that much. Yeah, this isn't no, as bad as the neon phantom glowing when no other light sources were on and nobody oh. noticing him. Stu, mm. we already talked about that. It's called neon. It's it was the seventies. There was neon everywhere. You didn't need to have a light on. Neon glowed without any light. That's source. not the point, Chrissy. No, the point was no other neons were on. Also, oh. they did a ton of cocaine back then. <laughs> Oh sure, move the goalpost. <laughs> I'm just stating what anyway. I just learned about the seventies, okay? Despite a stuck door, Scrooge is able to fully befriend the ghost hound with a third set of sausage links. 
Third and the lead druid realizes the game is up. Yep, especially when the the hound decides to turn sides thanks to all those sausages. Yep. Yep. Oh, the, yeah. The way a, a good doggy's heart is through the stomach. And as Scrooge lays into them about this being his home, the druid counters that Silas built the castle around their stone circles to save money. He also uses the exact same speech that Scrooge used earlier about stolen heritage, too. Mm. Which I thought was was kind of a great turnaround for Scrooge, where he's like, oh, wait, I just said the exact same thing. Yep. Whoopsies. I love, I also I realizing that. the reason Silas built over their uh, circle was to, to save money on building costs is like, oh, well... That kind of runs in the family. Yeah, that that's a very familiar trait. I really love this little twist and revelation that of what uh, his ancestor did, and I love that how Scrooge reacts to it, 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 where he's like, "Oh, oh, okay, you know what? Um, let's work something out here." Yeah, when Scrooge he- gets an idea: turn the castle into a haunted attraction. Seems. A little convenient for the druids to accept something that turns their sacred ground into a tourist trap. But it resolves the story as the lead druid explains the loose ends and Scrooge gets his top hat back from two pups fighting over it. Well, he had to get it back. I mean, I'm sure he had a contract with Disney that he had to get it back. (laughs) And if anything, you don't you don't you don't cross Disney when it comes to contracts. Besides, as long as the druids get to do their stuff at night. And get some extra funding for their stuff at night, you know. Eh, That's what out. I thought. I figured Scrooge probably give like they they gives them a good like cut of the money, so they have some money in their pockets. Oh, yeah. and, they get to, and they get to they get to stay there and do what they want to do. So it's a yeah. win win. Plus, Scrooge makes more money, so <laughs> win for him. <laughs> yeah, and also what's interesting too is um, if you go back to the flashback where Silas is actually digging, we see the Stonehenge in the background, the stone mm. circle in the background. So we do get a hint that this stone circle was there yep. when he was digging. So it wasn't like this came out of nowhere. Like we do see a hint that this the stone circle was there when they were beginning to dig. Yeah, that's probably this episode's strongest point, is that it is so good with the details. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's why those couple little things stuck out a little more to me. Yeah. I I think the thing I really like about this episode, too, someone who also likes mysteries, is all the clues are there in the episode, and they're easy to follow to what's going on. They don't hide anything from you so if you notice where the clue if you go back and look at the clues you say like oh my god i can see where this is going it's not like how other mysteries can be where it's like oh my god here's this clue that we didn't give you the full details of and we're just now telling you how this clue fits in the puzzle and it's kind of like an i gotcha clue where this one didn't have any i gotcha clues they were right there if you paid attention to them there's no like surprise twist out of nowhere kind of baloney uh, everything, all the reveals were foreshadowed, uh, either in dialogue or, as James pointed out, if you look really closely in the background kind of things, it's like, you. oh, okay. It's not like, you know, twist for out of nowhere for twist's sake. You know, it's like everything was deliberately foreshadowed about 
what the real story was going on. And best of all, they're not hammering you over the head with it either. They're still being subtle. That's the problem a lot of kids shows, kid aim shows have back then is they'll just hammer it it to you. But I'm I'm glad that this one resisted doing that. Mm -hmm. Well, the the nice thing with DuckTales is is a lot of times DuckTales respected its audience. Yeah. It knew it was kids, but it, it kind of went in with the thought process of kids aren't stupid. Which I feel like a lot more shows needed to do, especially in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. yeah. So, Pam, you had some more stuff on the Carl Barks comic this compared to? Yeah, uh, in the Carl Barks comic, I don't remember the exact reasoning for why it was haunted, but uh, yeah, there was no druids. There was no druids at all in the comic. The comic version... Castle McDuck had a curse of a ghost hound. There was also a subplot about that was a satire of modern art of all things. And the uh, resolution ended up being that the ghost hound was just a guy in a suit who's been like haunting the McDucks for generations. Like his family has been haunting him for generations. Okay, I was about to say one guy in a suit that long? No, his family has been doing it for generations. But yeah, it was a guy in a suit. In comparison to this, where it's an actual actual hound that was glowing from a special flea powder. In, in the comic, it was a guy in a suit. I, as much as I, I love Carl Barks' stories, and I do kind of hate any dropping of satire towards modern art, <laughs> um, I, I will say that I think this is a more developed story overall. Which I know some people are going to call blasphemy on me for that. But granted, also that comic was a lot shorter, so... There was less put in it, but interesting note: they also do the ghost, the ghost hound of Castle McDuck in the like 2016 reboot of Ducktales as well. However, in that, it actually is a ghost hound. So it went from guy in suit to hound to actual ghost hound. <laughs> is that an evolution or a de-evolution? <laughs> so when we return. It's the family reunion Scrooge McDuck never wanted to see. Disney's DuckTales will return after these messages. Hello, listeners of the Pemmy and James kind of sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Uh, we are That's Not Quite All, folks, the Looney Tunes podcast hosted by me, Mark Hadlum, always joined by... This asshole right over here, Jordan Schmidt. Hi, how are you? Yeah, we just had a... Get some ad time here to, uh, to promote our fun little show. So, obviously, if you're listening to Pemmy and James' show, you obviously love cartoon discussion. Well, um, we're a Looney Tunes podcast, so we talk a lot about um, kind of like the history of all Looney Tunes media, really. Um, throughout the three years now we've been doing the show, we've covered every Looney theatrical movie. A lot of episodes on a lot of different topics throughout uh, Looney Tunes history. We've also looked at a bunch of Looney TV shows like Duck Dodgers, Lunatics Unleashed, um, Baby Looney Tunes. We've also looked at some uh, TV specials, such as, remember in the 2000s when Cartoon Network did The Big Game? We've looked at two of those specials. They're a lot of fun. Yeah, those are awesome. Our analysis ranges from complimentary to really critical. Uh, we love these cartoons, we love what makes them great, and we like to talk about what makes them work, what makes them not work. We put out an episode every week, uh, we have commentaries we put out every couple months on the Hanna-Barbera co- projects we're doing now. We are a wild-ranging cartoon discussion show that verges on the insane in multiple... Why is the the, the uh, now not coming to me? 
Um, the show is full of pure tomlunery. Exactly. Thank you. I appreciate it. We've covered a lot. We're going to cover a lot. If you like what you've been hearing on the Pemmy and James show, you'll probably like us a lot. So please find us on all the podcast services you love, you know and love. We're out there. We're going to be out there. We thank you for your time. On the next Pemmy and James podcast, the question isn't what Sherlock Holmes is doing in the 22nd century. The question is, why did the premise of Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century only come about in 1999, and honestly not earlier, when throwing characters into space or the future was more in vogue? Still, join me as Chrissy takes me into her realm of expertise in two weeks. And now, back to Disney's DuckTales. Well, I don't really know any good way to well, introduce the Beagle Boys beyond what Justin already said. Yeah, they're they're just, they're one of Scrooge's most long-running headaches. Mm-hmm. Yep. Comics or cartoons, they're his most consistent enemy. Yep. And I might even say, like, they're on, like, they're just, they're just in a, a headache to him. They're not a rival. They're not a mastermind. They're not like Magica Dispel or Flintharm Glomgold. They're just a headache. But a consistent one. And one yep. that can grow to the size of a migraine. So I, I set out to pick the Beagle Boys episode with the most of their antics per square inch. And I settled upon A Drain on the Economy. Directed by Alan Zaslov who worked his entire life in the animation industry, starting under Leon Schlesinger at Warner Brothers when Alan was 16. And he would go on to work as an animator, producer, and director for scads of other companies. Alan's son, Mark Zaslav, himself an animation veteran as a writer, did the story for this episode alongside Bruce Talkington and DuckTales head creative Jim McGon. Wait, these guys aren't related to David Zaslav, are they? Or whatever his name is, in charge of Warner. Yeah, Zaz- David Zaslav. Hopefully not. Yeah, I really <laughs> hope not. I hope for their sakes they're not. <laughs> the other thing is this is part one of a four-parter. So just to warn our audience, if you go to watch these, this is just part one to a four-parter. So... If you're looking for the conclusion to this, you have to watch four other parts. And I do recommend because it is pretty, it is a pretty good four-parter. I ended up watching the other yeah. three parts just because I wanted to see how it ended. How, see see how it actually ended for, for them in this competition. And uh, it, I recommend it. Fortunately for us, the Beagle Boys portion, the part I'm most concerned with, is pretty self-contained. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, honestly, all four parts are actually pretty self-contained, but it's it's like they have a connecting narrative, but you can watch each one of them separately and you don't miss a whole lot. Yeah. So in a far-off land called Macaroon, we find Scrooge and Flintheart practically playing poker with their various riches and assets. And Scrooge calls Flintheart's uranium mine deed a forgery, and they both try and claim the pot. A literal pot. <laughs> Dang, Scrooge, I didn't know you were into that. Knowing so Flintheart right probably your nephew. Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> well, it's legal now. Not where I am. We need to move, get you to move.
knowing Flint Hart Glumgold, that probably was a forgery. Yeah. Yeah. He he embodies the Eddie Guerrero cheat to win mentality to a T. <laughs> I can't believe we're watching a cartoon about a Scottish duck, and the first wrestling reference we made is to Eddie Guerrero and not Roddy Piper. Yeah. Hey, Eddie Weird, Guerrero, huh? any reference to him is always a plus in my book. So their host comes down to tell them that by his estimates, their wealth are equal. And it turns out this is all for the rights to grow and harvest a variety of fruit that glows as bright as any light bulb on the market in the 1980s. These firefly fruits have been growing under the Macaroon Palace this whole time. And they make a lovely light snack. And and this... uh. This host is totally not Rob Paulson with a questionable accent. <laughs> we should probably also warn Sunset Slate not to watch the sequence because it's very punny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it hurt me. Wouldn't be surprised. I know Rob did a lot of voice work for the show for a lot of various supporting characters. Yeah, he was also a Gladstone Gander for the whole two episodes he appears in. Oh. Ooh. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was. I forgot Gladstone. Obviously, this is lucrative business potential, and so the Lord of Macaroon will award the contract to the richest. But with the glowering gazillionaires seemingly tied, the Lord decides to weigh the assets and award the rights to the heaviest wealth stash. They'll meet back in ten days, and Flintheart promises he's pulling out all the stops. Does anyone else see how this can go wrong in so many ways? Oh, absolutely. Can, can I uh, throw in a, a note here about something that I find funny? Mm-hmm. Their host says the richest man. They aren't men. They're ducks. But right. just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so just, stop like number that. one, Duckburg Penitentiary, where the Beagle Boys are resuming their never-ending sentences for robbery, assault, pickpocketing, forgery, racketeering, bootlegging, jaywalking, misuse of the Oxford comma, poor hygiene, painting the roses red, and putting maple syrup on hot dogs. Terrible crimes. And bootleg Atari games. Sorry. And that's an incomplete list. Wow. (laughs) So in this world, the misuse of the Oxford uh, comma is is a crime? It's not in ours? (laughs) You gotta... (laughs) Fair. I just never seen anyone convicted of it at outside of academic circles. Well, you know, they, it's it's to add to the list of things, just to boost up their already big list. Yeah, yeah. Sarson murder, jaywalking, and all. In, in, you know. Well, no, murder's not on here. So, right. Big Time has apparently tried every trick he knows to escape, but the guards are, for once, wise to their tricks. Considering these are the same guards who let in a cake with a jackhammer baked into it. <laughs> well, I, I do say that they're doing better than most guards we've seen in prisons and cartoons. They actually learn. Mm-hmm. And, and some in real life, I might add. <laughs> That's fair. That is very fair. As an aside, to call back to a previous podcast, Big Time sounds like a gruffer version of Frank Welker's voice for Jekyll back in the filmation period of Heckle and Jekyll. Oh. Actually, he sounds a lot more like a gruffer version of his uh, voice he does for the wolf in, like, later uh, droopy cartoons, like the filmation and uh, mm. Tom and Jerry kids. Tom and, Tom and Jerry cartoons. 
A dirigible shaped like a cow wearing a top hat, random, dispenses gas masks before dispensing sleeping gas to put down all the guards and the other prisoners. Dropping a rope ladder on Bouncer's head, the numbskulls climb it, and of course, Glomgold is their benefactor, despite their expecting it to be Mob Eagle. In their defense, I would have first thought it would be Mob Eagle too if I was yeah. them. Right. Yeah. But I'll, like it, it's it's one of my favorite gags. Uh, I knew Mob would find a way. I'm not your Ma. Yes. <laughs> Glomgold, are you the mother? <laughs> Glomgold, we got back the test results. You are the mother. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Thank you, Maury Povich. Flint Hart wants them to rob the money bin. And the Beagle Boys want none of Scrooge's traps. But this time, Flint Hart will give them the supplies so long as they provide the manpower. I like this. It, it, it's a team up that it's a villain team up that makes sense. Like Flint Hart knows that they have always wanted to break into the money bin, and he needs to find a way to sabotage uh, Scrooge. So why not uh, support the Beagle Boys in attempting for them to finally pull off what they've always wanted: uh, break into the money bin and get Scrooge's money. Well, it's not in this episode. I just randomly remembered one of the gags from another episode where uh, Magica actually releases the Beagle Boys. And uh, Big Time's like, thanks, Magica. We were getting tired of waiting for our time to run out. And Magica's like, your time? How long were you supposed to be in there? And Big Time's like, life. (laughs) (laughs) With all the stuff they've done, I would imagine they have all have permanent like life sentences. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. At this point, the the prison is just like we're just gonna hold you because we know someone's gonna break you out, and you're just gonna end up back in. We're just gonna give you a permanent place at this point. Like we, mm-hmm. we're just gonna have you have life because we know you're not gonna actually end up staying in here. Some someone's gonna break you out before your time is up. Anyways, continue, James. Scrooge reads the headlines of the boys' escape and discusses the matter with the triplets when an alarm goes off. It's an anti-Beagle Boy early alert system, which only shows how frequently they've tried to get at his cash. Which also probably explains why they wanted no part of this to begin with. We're like, we've tried way too many times, we're done. Revving up a massive security system that looks suspiciously familiar to NES fans, we'll talk about that in the postscript, Big Time rallies the entire family of cousins, Right over his comparatively diminutive body. Notice it's all the male cousins. Right. Yes. Not a single female in that bunch. They were busy. Yep. They, no bomb They were either. smart. <laughs> they were like, eh, no. And the animation budget ran out. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Which explains why they all look alike. TMS That's can fair. only do so much. And they're one of the they're one of the highest level like outsourcing you can get. So <laughs> Scrooge resolves to fight them off without the cops, it being his property and the police being on their annual picnic. <laughs> I, like I love that line. That, that is a good line. <laughs> I, I, I also love how just Scrooge says it to the side. He's just like, no, it's my money. It's my fight. But besides it's their annual picnic. picnic. Yeah. He's yeah. just like, it's it's like I don't want to, I don't want to bother the cops on, 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 on when they're supposed to be enjoying themselves today. He's he's probably like yeah they need a break. And commence the gags as <gasps> Go. boom boom bonsai buckaroo beanball blitzkrieg bifocal bumpkin fireball babyface with the propeller beanie and bullseye are all defeated. Good job. 
Woo. But Bouncer is the first to almost make it in. Almost is the working almost. word. Bedtime calls for a second charge, and Baggy complains that it's too easy until a boxing glove trap sends him back out. That's yeah. better. Is that the same boxing glove that Scrooge had on his piggy bank in Scotland? <laughs> no, this one was a dark brown. Oh, oh, it would have been awesome bigger. if he reused it. Like, I'm taking fun. this home with me. I got some plans for this. <laughs> now, Burger, of all people, makes yeah. it upstairs, but gets lulled by the scent of a fresh double-decker with three cheeses into mm. a mousetrap. Which proves that Scrooge knows his enemies very, oh, yeah. very well. <laughs> yeah, I love his frustration over, ah, oh, damn it, it's like food. <laughs> I know big big time is sitting there like no no don't don't do it and burger burgers burger. I like how they did that because you don't see you don't actually see the mousetrap hit him you just hear the snap over the walkie talkie and then he comes out with it on his nose and I'm in quite a pinch yeah <laughs> I always love the use of that in any storytelling it's not where they don't show you what happens so you let your imagination do it yep. for you because yep. your imagination is always a hundred times worse <laughs> I, li- I like i like burger he's he's one of my favorite uh, secondary people. at nightfall the only beagle boy unscathed is big time and he emerges from their bus in an iron beagle suit none of the traps slow him down as he reaches the kids and the vault but Scrooge is waiting in the vault with a tank and a sequence of lines worthy of Bugs Bunny himself. Make my tea. You don't scare me, McDuck. This armored assault suit will stop a 60 millimeter shell. Oh, too bad. This tank uses 61 millimeter shells. Whoa, that's one millimeter too many. I love this. This is great. <laughs> I love this too. Especially when he, you just see big time thinking it out in his head and he's like, oh. Oh crap. Oh. <laughs> like this can handle 20, 20 millimeter shells. Well, this tank fires 21. Oh. <laughs> it yeah, 60 it's, and 61. 60 oh, 61. Yeah. And it's just like, and he thinks about it and he thinks about it too. He's counting it out on his hand. And he goes, and it's like, oh, oh, oh. And oh. I think that's oh, the part sorry. that makes it great is like we get it first and watching him suddenly get it. And it's like, yeah, dummy, you're screwed. You're basic. I, I just want to say I, I really like the design of the, uh, the the big time like beagle suit, iron suit. It's It's so great. Yeah, I like it. It's got kind of very, despite the fact it has like uh, modern stuff, like there's breakdancing in an episode and a video game in an episode, it still has a very old school kind of feel to it. Like that that armored design looks like something you would see if someone made an armored design in like the 1950s mm-hmm. or 60s in comparison to like something more super heroic like you'd expect in most other 80s cartoons. Mm-hmm. So I, I just really like it. It's simple. It looks good. Yeah. He had a good quip. He has some good quips too. As he's as he's busting through all of the defenses as he's getting into the money bin too. I was like, he's big time's got some really good uh, one liners in this episode. That's why he's a big time. 
So mm-hmm. I have one last thing about this gag. Do you think the Disney censors made them reduce the numbering by eight? <laughs> oh, 69. Oh. Uh, 69, dudes! Good one, James. I, I wouldn't be surprised, considering we all know how Disney likes to slip certain things into some of their stuff. Though I will say Disney was pretty lenient with a lot of their Disney afternoon shows, all things considered, because cons- uh, they got away with having like handguns in this show, which was supposedly a big no-no during the time that it aired. So, yeah. But that may have also helped because it was on syndication. So, so Big Time just calls the whole thing off. Then Scrooge isn't celebrating their retreat. He knows they'll be back as he's already patching up the holes in the money bin. <laughs> the next morning, the triplets are arguing about their great uncle's mental state while a Band-Aid has to do on the hole in the vault. I'm glad you mentioned that because if you didn't, I would have. <laughs> I like that in the background, the, the big Band-Aid. That is awesome. Scrooge calls them in to show them Bertha, a cannon from his warehouse that he's rigging to stop anyone who so much as opens the door. Unfortunately, Scrooge is also a little loony from sleep deprivation at this point. Yeah. The triplets get him to agree to take a nap, but the sleep-deprived Scrooge forgot his cane in the vault. You see where this is going. Yep. He didn't think it through. The unlikely chain of events leads to Bertha not coming around here anymore in the form of exploding. (laughs) That's a Grateful Dead joke for the folks out there. (laughs) And the resulting explosion draining the money bin. The core Beagle Boys spring back into action and Scrooge needs more bricks. At least uh, woke Scrooge up a bit, I guess. (laughs) Better than coffee. By the time the boys make it up and bluster Scrooge's blunderbuss, all the money is drained into the basement. Or it would have if there was a basement. This must have been designed by the same people who made the Alamo. <laughs> nice uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure reference. That was a good one. Yeah. Realizing it's drained into the storm pipes, the Beagle Boys go off to get it. And so do the triplets when Scrooge realizes he can't fit in the crack Bertha left. I do kind of like the the uh, how the nephews like decided to show that off. It was like Huey just walks right da- down it like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Scrooge better hold, better uh, start holding off on uh, some of that haggis. By the way, if you want, at the end of this, I can tell you an easy way. Well, not an easy way, but a humorous way to remember which nephew is which at the end of this. Oh, that'd be awesome. The nephews have to improvise a boat from a discarded steel drum with instructions from, of course, the Junior Woodchuck Guide. While Scrooge deals with a wise-ass fox at the Department of Water. Who I think is also voiced by Rob Paulson. You may be right. I think I think you are right. This episode reminded me, one of my, like I said, one of my favorite recurring gags throughout the entire series is the Junior Woodchuck Guidebook. Because I lost track of how many times when they were in a pinch... They're like, let's consult the Junior Woodchuck Guidebook, and they would come up and find something that would uh, immediately help them in their situation. Like, let me look up here. Oh, here's how we can build a raft. It's like, <laughs> it's like the the hilarious convenience of how useful that Junior Woodchuck Guidebook is for the nephews. It's just to amaze me. And that's right out of the comics because they do the exact same 
gag in the comics. And I think a lot of it is it's making it's kind of um, a satire or satire or parody of uh, the Boy Scouts. Yeah, be prepared. Yeah. Always be, be prepared. prepared. Be prepared. Be prepared. Wait, that's something different. <laughs> oh, sorry, wrong movie. <laughs> I, I just had I just had to I just had to go off on that because like uh, that, when that happened I just started laughing I was like oh that junior witch guidebook comes through again. <laughs> so the fox tells Scrooge that this was the second set of plans for the sewer system. The first, of course, were already grabbed by the Beagle Boys. Of course, the Beagles being the Beagles, bouncers' interpretations of big times directions don't go so well. <laughs> it, it is bouncer. I said, I meant left at the corner. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, the scary so thing I, I, is, Bouncer isn't even the dumbest. <laughs> no. no, no, he's not. No, he's not. Oh, who, who would be the dumbest? Is it Burger or or Baggy? It's got to be Baggy. At least baggy. Burger didn't get stuck going in circles in a revolving door. Fair enough. Also, I, I also want to mention, I like the little brief moment with the with the fox where like Scrooge is like was there anything suspicious about them and he's like you you mean other than their black masks yeah <laughs> he's big <"Ugh>, boys <laughs> not like that light here so the triplets find the cash and a crazed Scrooge soon finds the boys but a flapgate sends the fortune and feathered nephews away before the former can be recovered by the latter all paths lead to the reservoir and Big Time has a surprise for the kids. <laughs> Said kids are finding coins from the money bin, but they also find an alligator. It's Big Time and Bouncer in disguise, naturally. Now, folks, if I had a coin from Scrooge's money bin for every time the triplets were wrapped up in disguise shenanigans in a cartoon reviewed for a podcast episode, I'd still have no coins because no way would Scrooge let me have any. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. that's very true. True. Especially if it's his lucky dime. Yep, number I, one dime. Number one dime. The nephews decide to switch to bottled water over their plight. As Big Time puzzles over where the money went when a real gator chases them off. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. Or like it's like they, they do the the hey, do you think the Alligator here. Oh, that's just a you know fairy tale, and, and you know they use that to scare them off. And then the Beagle Boys run into an actual gator in the sewers to chase us after them. Lucky, <laughs> it's a beaut too. <laughs> I know. I it was great gag. Great gag. I, I also love that. Like every crocodile, I swear, every crocodile or alligator in like a Disney cartoon has that same like just design to it. <laughs> At least until Lewis came around. Fair enough, yes. <laughs> the kids think they're safe until Louie triggers another door, sending them falling right to the money. Scrooge and the Beagle Boys reach the monitoring station, and a battle of water valves begins, sending kids and cash alike down yet another drain. Fortunately for Scrooge, the nephews can hold their breath for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> The battle increases the water pressure to such a degree it blows the whole station. And the money and nephews arrive in a penthouse being shown to a couple who the kids have to outwit to protect the fortune. Okay, 
I, I love this scene where like the money is shooting out of different parts, uh, different appliances in yes. the uh, penthouse. Though mm-hmm. I, I can't help but wonder which one of those appliances did the nephews come out of? Right. How they fit? That that is a good question. It's like okay, cartoon dynamics aside, how? How? Off camera, they came out of the toilet. Probably. Ooh, that's definitely toilet humor. Cartoon logic aside, who hooks their oven up to the water line? Maybe it's a maybe it's supposed to be a dishwasher. It's possible. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it, it is possible. But like, it does I mean, look a little some, more like an oven, though. Yeah, there, there's just some appliances that were it was coming out of that I I was like, okay, I just have to I just have to just step away. <laughs> <laughs> like I have gotta, to stop. Gotta accept. I just have to accept it. It's Disney. Just go with it. Right. Scrooge quickly wins a bidding war by buying the whole building, <laughs> and the Beagle Boys spot the building lean over from all the weight. I just love the gag. It's like just a reminder. Like how rich is Scrooge? He doesn't hesitate. Like I'll buy the whole damn building. So. <laughs> I I also want to throw in that uh, one of the uh, one of the two people that were trying to buy the penthouse was actually Frank Welker. Naturally. The crooks make one last charge, cutting off the elevator's cutoff switch to prevent the trick the triplets used earlier. And Scrooge really panics. Uh, all that sleep stuff starts hits him hard. Ever ever been sleep deprived? Yeah. Oh yes. You, we, all, we all feel Scrooge in this moment. Mm-hmm. Once he snaps out of it, he decides to give them the money by pouring it down the elevator shaft before they reach the top. Can we mention how he snapped out of it? Like, Huey, like, literally threw a freaking wad of bills right into his head. I had to leave some <laughs> stuff for you to mention. And, and, and it hit him pretty hard, so I don't think it was just bills he got hit with. He got hit with some, there had been some coins in there, too. Oh, I, I also want to correct myself. Dewey is the one who hit him with the uh, wad of bills. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. In the blue. That's right. Also, I have to say, this shows that, you know, it, like, the Beagle Boys are not just, like, just don't curl. Like, big time, like, oh, yeah, we're not going to let you pull uh, that uh, trick on us a second time. And it's like, oh, crap. You know, it's like, I like that. It's no, like, they learn. Like, they, they, learn. they do learn. Big time is uh, underrated. So the cops arrive, and the Beagle Boys have all had enough. And Scrooge <laughs> can finally sleep as he passes right out. And the boys put a money bag under his head for a pillow. <laughs> He's he has this magic ability that just turns money into the softest substance possible for him. And comfortable. And comfy. I mean, that's that's his trick. That's yep. his trick. I don't know how he does it, but that's his trick. So it goes without saying for any eighties kid, but DuckTales was a freaking sensation. Disney turned this crew of characters into names on par with Donald himself in this time period, and the decision to place the show in the afternoon time slot paid dividends. DuckTales would be renewed for a few more seasons and would anchor the growing lineup of original television animation in Disney's roster for years to come until 1991, forming a block that we'd eventually know as the Disney Afternoon. The show was such a hit it spawned a feature film in DuckTales' Treasure of the Lost Lamp, 
certainly now in the short list of Disney movies we ought to cover before we call it a day on the podcast production. I mean, well, I, I do I find it funny that they decided to use the magic lamp story uh, plot for the movie when they already did the magic lamp plot for an episode of the TV show, but... Whatever. I noticed that! Yeah. yeah. I, I saw that. It, my parents took me to see the, the, the Treasure of the Lost Lamp movie. That was the, the pilot, wasn't it? The one with the, the one they did for the magic lamp? No, it wasn't the pilot, but it's an early episode. Okay. It, yeah, it's in the early 10s, I want to say. But Disney also set the model for syndicated animation that other companies would follow, especially Warner Brothers, both on their own and in conjunction with Amblin Entertainment, leading to yet more ripple effects, building up the t- TV animation renaissance of the 1990s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, all everything came after, because of DuckTales' success, is how we got Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers, and Darkwing Duck, and Tailspin, and you know, Everything came after it was a real, real big time for animated Disney animated shows on TV, and it's like and, I watched them all. <laughs> yeah, and it just uh, also just showed that putting quality, actual quality, to your show mm-hmm. pays out. Because uh, while there's still a lot of stinkers in the '90s, the '90s definitely had a bigger boost in quality for kids' television than as much as I like the '80s. Uh, the the '80s. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I also think too is is that with Ducktales, it wasn't even just so much as is um, just the show itself, but like a lot of the merchandising they did off of it too. I mean, I I remember having a sticker book for Ducktales and going out, and you had to buy like the little pack of stickers that you would a put Panini in book, the sticker I book, and it was the episodes from the show at that time. What's that? Yeah, was that I James? believe that was those. I believe that was made by Panini. I'm not sure because it was so long ago. They they were the, the sticker book publisher of choice through much of the yeah. 80s. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I just remember every time we went to the to the store, and I would just be like, instead of getting like the piece of candy, asking for candy, I would be like, "Can I get this?" Trying to fill out that sticker book, and and I did it for Ducktales. I didn't do it as much for the others. Ducktales was the one that I did it for. I mean, I was a Chippendale Rescue Rangers fan because I did love Chippendale. But I didn't really do it as much for the others, but like DuckTales was like the one I obsessively did it for. Well, Mm -hmm. but of course, the crown jewel of DuckTales merchandise was the video game released in October of 1989 from Capcom. Mm -hmm. The second release in the U.S. from Capcom based on a Disney property and the first developed by them. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because Mickey Mouse Capade was actually made by Hudson Soft. Yep, I had the Game Boy version. It was one of the first. It was one of the first uh, Game Boy games uh, I got my hands on. It was the Ducktales, uh, which is a surprisingly good conversion. It is. Now, in a sea of utterly garbage games based on toys and other media properties, looking at you, LJN, this game was a glittering mm-hmm. gem of solid gameplay, great visuals, and a brilliant soundtrack by Hiroshige Tonomura making it on par with the best of that year's releases. And that year included the U.S. releases of heavy hitters like Mega Man 2 and Ninja Gaiden. So that's no small feat. Yeah. Uh, interesting thing to note, one thing that may have helped it at least feel authentic is the fact that uh, Disney actually worked with them on that because there was a prototype released 
of the uh, ROM, and there was a lot less references to characters from the show in the original prototype version. Disney informed them of other characters they could put into the game to further reference the show. Disney also uh, influenced some of the items, uh, suggesting ice cream and cakes instead of hamburgers, saying they wanted uh, a more vegetarian side for uh, Scrooge's diet. Besides, he needs a boost of energy, and uh, sugar might be better than a weighed-down hamburger. That's true, yeah. I mean, and Disney, and we really do start to see this also with a lot of Disney games, too, because I think this was one of their first video games where they really started to more heavily input it, where we see with Disney doing games where, with the success of this, they realize, hey, we're going to have a little bit more input on our games, because they did have a DuckTales 2. Yep. That was influenced by the later seasons of DuckTales as well, where you could see Gizmo yep. Duck and uh, some well, of Gizmo Duck in the first one. He's a late, he's, yeah, you're right. He's later in it, but there was also a DuckTales 2 where he's more of a more playable character. Yeah. From he, the beginning. He only kind of like, yeah, he only like briefly appears in like the original. Yeah, he's more playable. He's a more playable character in the second game. The first game would be remade in the 2010s by Way Forward. It would include performances by all the living cast members, including one of Alan Young's final performances as Scrooge McDuck. That's awesome. But yeah, it seemed at its peak, everyone loved DuckTales. Except the writer of the Scrooge McDuck comics, who just got going the year before its debut, Don Rosa. Mm. You see, Rosa has long held the belief that if it didn't come from Karl Barks, it wasn't proper Scrooge and Duckburg, and that the Scrooge stories ended in 1967 when Barks retired from writing them the first time. Thus, all of Rose's stories take place in that era. He's been very outspoken to this, to the point of having signs at convention appearances reading, These aren't DuckTales. You know, I always wondered, was Carl Barks alive during the initial run of DuckTales? I don't think so. Okay, because I always wondered what he may have thought of it. Yeah, Don Rosa is not a fan. However, here's a note. Don Rosa actually did one comic story for DuckTales. And he, uh, yeah, because I I think he needed the money or something. He did one story for, uh, he did one DuckTales comic story. And he actually has said that he felt like he, uh, it was a a job he uh, regrets. And he feels like he blasphemized Carl Barks' name by doing it. This guy is very hardcore about this. Mm. Yeah, but the, it's part of me is like there's there's being hardcore, and then there's that then there's this. Like yeah. there can be more than one universe for this, and yeah. I'm sure Carl Barks is probably not as hardcore. Would not be as hardcore about this if he really loves this character and he's like, hey, this is a fun new way of looking at my character. Awesome. Is it keeping the character alive? Cool. Have fun with it. I'm actually pretty sure Carl Barks would probably have been okay with this since he was kind of wanting to see Scrooge in animation for a long time. So yeah. he probably so, would be perfectly okay with this. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like, uh, I don't know. I feel, I would love to know. It would be awesome to know if we if, if what Carl Barks would have thought. I'm not going to take Don Rose's word of what he thinks Carl Barks would have thought. Well, I would of love, not. I would love to know what Carl Barks, but I mean, if he passed away before DuckTales came out, you know, 
that's that's sad. I mean, I like Carl Burks' yeah. work. I've seen some of his early works with the with the ducks with with the duck side of Disney, and it's fun to read because he yeah. he did have a humor. But... I'll, I'll give Don Rosa credit where credits due. Don Rosa's stories are really good. Mm-hmm. There's the Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck where he does a whole like practical like lifeline of Scrooge from child to adult to where we know him. That's really really good. Um, I don't agree with his opinion on DuckTales, but I won't argue that he does actually really good work with the Scrooge characters. So. I mean, I've, I've read some of Don Rose's stuff on it, and you could definitely tell a lot of his stuff influences some of DuckTales' stories and, and the way they, they view Scrooge, you know. But, like, dude, like, don't don't be a hater. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't be a hater on my childhood, dang it. Okay. <laughs> but I get it. I get it. Oh. Where he's coming. You want to know... You want to know the trick to knowing which nephew's which? Yeah. Yeah. So the brightest hue of the three is red. So it's Huey. Mm-hmm. The color of water or dew is blue. So that's Dewey. Mm-hmm. And after that, that leaves Louie and leaves are green. Oh, my God. That's awesome. I can't believe I never. Never thought of it that way. Thanks, Femi. Oh, that's awesome, Femi. Everyone learned something new today. Nice. The more you know with. Pembroke W. Corgi. (laughs) Now then, in 2017, the Disney Channel would reinvent DuckTales, courtesy of the creative team of Matt Youngberg and Francisco Agnones, bringing Donald back into the fold on a more permanent basis, and bringing the triplet's mother, Della Duck, into the cast in Season 2, while also updating characters and adding more serialized story elements. Terry McGovern, Launchpad, was on record as being heartsick about the entire crew being recast. But otherwise, the new series was a worthy successor to the original, with three very solid seasons under its belt. Also, as upsetting as it is that they recast, I can't blame them because a lot of the actors were really old and practically passed away right before the show aired. So, I mean, well, the only one who came back is, of course... Uh, Tony is Donald. It's like because he is Donald. Yeah. It's like he's like you, you. You can't have him not be Donald until he's like saying like, okay, I'm done. So, but David Tennant as Scrooge McDuck, I thought was brilliant casting, and I thought, oh my I god, mean, it was Chef's kiss. It was perfect. Yeah. Uh, I only got to see the first couple episodes, and I still haven't seen like the entire series, but I really liked what I saw. With it's really Reboot. good. Oh yeah, um, it, it's so, really good. Uh. I, I definitely want to finish watching, especially because like Della Duck, which is like it's like I I didn't I had heard about Della, uh, I, uh, James or somebody like mentioned like I had no idea she even existed before they did that. That like she was all the way like from the comics, and that she was Donald's sister. I was like Donald had a sister. I didn't even know that. Yeah. <laughs> well, where do you think something... the triplets came from? Well, the thing right. is, yeah. Well, the thing is, is that. We always knew of Della's existence. We never saw Della. This is like the first right. time actually seeing Della, um, which is cool. In animated form. Well, I just like to say, I also like how they rework the characters too in a more modern, in, in what is to us a more modern setting. They, they One really creative thing they did was they actually managed to merge both of uh, Glomgold's uh, origins. Um, pretty much, he is South African, but he gets so obsessed with beating Scrooge that he takes on this Scottish persona. Oh yeah, I love that they did that. That's, I like that. That's that's cool. 
uh, it was a creative way to like reference both versions, and I thought that was neat. It's also worth mentioning, in keeping with more modern perspectives on wealth and the wealthy, Disney of late has worked hard to emphasize that current portrayals of Scrooge, like in the video game Disney Dreamlight Valley, has him being a firm believer in fair wages, workers' rights, and community investment. But hey, for a character who's been with us for over seven decades, even the changes can still come as fast as a duck blur. <laughs> Good one. Yeah, the the theme song is just I was just singing along like without hesitation. It's it's been in my head ever since my childhood. It's like it's just it's so iconic. It's one of the best theme songs ever. Oh, you as soon as you hear it, you just hear the first few bars and you're like, I know that song. And I have to say one of the best things they did for the for the the reboot was they actually had the cast the mm-hmm. new the new cast sing it yes yeah. which was well, that, that was how they introduced that uh, david Tennant was uh, going to be scrooge was through that song yeah. yeah it was brilliant like i said david Tennant is scrooge mcduck so, chef's so good kiss. chef's kiss oh i'm gonna go take a dive into a bowl of breakfast cereal well that you can swim through yes all right Pemmy, you want to go try to hunt down your uh, your caramel swirl see ya Bye. The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Sean Michael Smith.